It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Welcome to the Friday edition of Daily Thunder. Very special standalone message uh, this morning when I was just praying about if I should continue with the series on prayer, if I should do something a little different. And so I decided to go a little uh, uh, off the the beaten path uh, with this one. And I think you guys will really enjoy this. Uh, This is sort of inspired... Uh, be- just mainly because of yesterday, my time that I spent with the, uh, the men's students uh, here, we were just walking through some really powerful uh, ideas scripturally as far as how we believe, why we believe. I think this will be an encouraging uh, finishing touch for the week-longers that this is their final day here, uh, but it's called the Almond Branch, and <coughs> this is very significant in the uh, understanding of the Jewish mind. For us, we oftentimes, you know, almond branch, almonds, they don't mean a lot to us. And I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on almonds as much as just show you a symbol uh, in Scripture that is very, very profound. Uh, (coughs) In Numbers 17.8, we have a crisis that is taking place, and that is the Korah, Uh, who is, this is in the time of Moses and Aaron. Uh, They are in the wilderness, and the word of God is being entrusted to Moses. So it's actually the very beginnings of what we could call the word of God in text. The revelation of God is being given to men. It is being given in form of law, but the first five books are going to be imparted here to Moses. And yet there is a kerfuffle that is taking place because Korah and Korah's buddies, uh, it's known in scripture as the Korah Rebellion, are uncomfortable with the fact that Moses seems to think that he has the authority. I mean, who gave him the right to dictate to the people of Israel? This is very similar to what you're going to see in our culture with the word of God. And so the word of God in every generation creates a kerfuffle. Uh, I like the word, so I've used it twice now. But it creates a issue, a disturbance, because if you recognize it as the authority, as if it is from God, and you submit to it, well, everything goes wonderful. But when you defy it and you rebel against it, you end up creating a drama. We have a drama. Korah, in the very beginnings of the formation of the text of scripture is actually fighting against it and Moses and Aaron are appealing to them to come up these are famous men it says men of renown in Israel are standing against uh, Moses and Aaron so it's a very difficult start to this whole thing known as the revelation of scripture and (coughs) so the solution that comes because of this rebellion because of this defiance to the authority of God is Moses says hey could we at least agree that every one of us, every one of the 12 tribes will submit a rod? Now, a rod to each of the tribes was a symbol. It was held by the leader of the tribe or the head of the tribe. And so each of the tribes would have a rod. A rod, by basic definition, would be a branch of a tree 
cut off. It is no longer living. And then it's carved, and you know, we know it as a king's scepter in different, but it's a rod, it's a branch, okay? So when you're going to see the term branch throughout Scripture, a branch and a rod are the same. And so Moses is going to say, hey, how about each of the 12 tribes bring a rod? The, each of them has their name on the rod. So for the house of Levi, which is Moses and Aaron, and the relationship with Moses and Aaron is an interesting one because just as uh, God is going to speak to Moses, he's going to say, unto Pharaoh, you will be as God, and Aaron will be your prophet. Okay, so you have this very unique relationship, even though Moses is the, uh, the younger brother, you have this odd thing of this authority being given to Moses. And so they lay these 12 rods in the house uh, of God, in the tabernacle of witness. And so that's where we're at. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. God is making it clear. He is giving his answer to who has authority. He is actually in so doing establishing what we understand as the canon of scripture. So the word canon is not C-A-N-N-O-N, which shoots cannonballs. That's a military instrument. This is C-A-N-O-N, and it is authority. It is a divine authority, or technically the definition is a rod. Okay, it is the rod of authority. So which rod stands above them all? God's does. So there's a lot of opinion of men, but God's opinion stands above them all. He's the rod of rods. And what you see is God establishing a rod above all all other rods. So the voice of Moses and Aaron is actually divinely inspired. And that's what God is making very clear here, which is actually establishing the credibility of Scripture. The ground is going to open up and swallow up Korah and his buddies. Okay, this is a very serious event in history. And God is saying, any questions? Do you understand that I have given authority? This word, this that Moses is writing down, actually comes from me. Okay, so it's like, wow, this is a big deal. Now, one of the things that I'm just notating to you, and I'm helping you out by naming the message the almond branch, because you wouldn't normally see it. You could read over this, and if I were to say, from what kind of a tree did Aaron, Aaron's rod, what was it cut from? Okay, well, you're going to know it was cut from an almond tree. Okay, but those aren't things you typically are thinking about. So what we have is we have an almond branch that is literally dead and is going to overnight come back to life. Okay, I don't want you to miss these things. This is actually part of the message of Christ to us. So that's in number 17.8, the beginnings of the authority of Scripture being established. And then Jeremiah 11.12, we have a unique statement that most of us would not pick up on. In fact, when you read Jeremiah, you just sort of glaze over. It's like, what in the world is he talking about? I've given you some hints already so that when you hear this, you're actually going to catch something that you wouldn't typically catch without a little help. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, Jeremiah speaking, I see a rod or a branch of an almond tree. And now what should happen inside of you is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you know, this branch of an almond tree, this, this rod of Aaron's is so significant in the story, in the tale of God's revelation, 
that even in the Ark of Covenant, they are going to lay this rod. They're also going to lay the Ten Commandments. And they're going to lay a pot of manna. What do those three things have in common? They all reveal Jesus. In other words, you have the Ten Commandments, the perfect righteousness of God, you have the pot of manna, the bread that has come down from heaven, and you have a rod that buds? What, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, I'm, that's what I'm going into. So moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a rod, a branch of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, you have seen well, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Okay, now we're all like, oh, okay. Uh, what does that mean? He will, he's going to hasten. He's going to ready his word. Do you guys know who the word is? To perform something. What's, what's going to be performed? The rod of an almond tree? <laughs> How do you perform the rod of an almond tree? Unless you know what an almond tree is. Overnight, he is going to demonstrate life out of death. Overnight, he is going to silence the voice of the enemy that says that God doesn't have authority in the flesh. In other words, this one is, in fact, from God. He is going to establish that fact in Israel the same way Aaron's rod established it back in the desert in the days of Korah. Oops, what? That was weird. Uh, so... It's not the best picture, I have to. It doesn't even have almonds on it, okay? But I was trying to at least give you something so you could sort of go, oh, and, and see a rod of an almond tree. It's funny because I don't know. I, I haven't grown up around almond trees. They don't grow in Colorado very commonly. And so when I think of a, an almond tree, I think of a bush more than a tree. And so when I think of a rod, I don't think of one being able to come out of it. But hey, you know, I, it, I guess it can and so I'm not that familiar. I drink almond milk, so I guess I should become more and more familiar with almonds as we progress. How, so I did a, a Google search on this this morning just to find out how long does it take for an almond tree to produce almonds, okay? Because it, what if it was, it's just like, oh, in about two days, you know, they can sprout forth. Well, that wouldn't be as impressive, right? So this was actually impressive to me to see what God did in the Tabernacle of Witness in that one night, a new tree will produce fruit after three years of its, of its plantation, while it takes five to seven years for reaching full maturity. So the Bible seems to go out of, out of its way that it's ripe almonds that are given. So we have this maturity that is done overnight. It's pretty extraordinary, okay? I just thought I'd throw that in for just bonus. Uh, and then uh, I decided to throw this in for bonus too. How long does it take for a dead almond branch to produce almonds? <laughs> Something dead cannot produce life. It's impossible. So what we actually see is not just amazing that it happened so quick. It's also impossible. Okay, it's not just impossible that it produced fruit that quickly, but it's that it cannot produce fruit if it's dead. And so what we see even in this symbol is something that encompasses the entire Christian life. Uh, uh, Aaron is going to yield up that symbol of authority. He is going to yield up a rod and he's going to lay it in the house of God and overnight that which is dead is going to spring to life. And so we see Jesus submitting his life, giving up his life and overnight we're going to see a springing forth back to life. But also in our life, we are dead branches and unless we are grafted into him, we can have no life. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so we actually see the same phenomenon taking place in our life, and that which could never happen 
fruit of righteousness come forth out of us does. So the almond branch. One of the statements I love back in Numbers is it's going to say, and basically set this before the people of Israel as a token against the rebels. In other words, there's these rebels that are like, oh, we don't need to listen to Moses. Set this in front of them. And that's precisely what this almond branch is. It's a token against the rebels, a symbol of unquestionable God-ordained authority. It's a symbol of yielded control and what God can and will do when a rod is entrusted to him. Jesus is the rod, capital R. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, he's going to be referred to as the branch, and they capitalize every letter in the word branch. Isn't that interesting? It's like he is the rod. He is the branch. He's the one that is cut off and comes back to life. And so he is going to model the yieldedness. He is going to give himself to the Father unreservedly. Whatever the Father leads, he will do. And as he gives himself over to that, you see that God, what God does with that which is entrusted to him, and he sets a pattern. He says, you now set down your rod. Remember that seat that I described that we're stuck in? We give up our authority. We give up our control. And when we do and we submit it to him, he brings life out of death. It's a picture of resurrection life, life out of death. Simply put, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 6.12, just to give you a hint of what it says in the Old Testament. There's so much of this, but I just picked one. Then speak to him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Man is capitalized. Branch is capitalized. From his place he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Remember Jesus? He says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, well, it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to build it up in three days? Ha, 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 ha. But the temple of which he spoke was his body. See, this is the branch. The one that is cut off is going to rebuild. He is going to spring forth into life. So John 13, 19, we are at the Last Supper. Jesus is going to actually tell the disciples something before it happens. He's going to say that he's going to uh, be turned over into the hands of sinners, that he is going to suffer and the body is going to die, and he's going to rise again on the third day. Then he says this. This is extremely fascinating. I want you to hold on to this. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. Now, in most of our translations, it's going to add he in there. The he is actually not in the text, okay? We add it in the English to help out because it doesn't make any sense if you don't have it. But it does make sense if you know the ineffable, unspeakable name of God. Jesus is actually saying that you may believe that I am. How will you know? He is going to tell you something before it comes to pass so that when it comes to pass, you would know that he, in fact, is God Almighty. Okay? So that's, that's what's taking place here. Now, there's an interesting parallel that I'm drawing from. The reason I'm even bringing this out is because the one known as Jesus, the Word of God, has spoken to us in advance what would happen to him so that we would believe that he is. Yesterday I was working with the guys uh, through a passage in Hebrews that says, you know, that anyone that comes to God must first believe that he is. 
and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So how do we believe that he is? Well, this is one of the key factors in our soul of faith. God Almighty has given us his word. He has revealed himself to us. The rod of an almond tree has blossomed and borne almonds overnight. He has shown himself to us. And before he actually performed what he did, he said he would do it exactly as he did it. He's God. And so that's what we're going to have a meditation on this morning is sort of that almond branch. He told us before it came to pass. Let's go back 750 years before Jesus Christ. So before Jesus Christ was born and before he lived his life and before he suffered on that cross, Isaiah the prophet is going to give vivid, specific detail of what this Messiah will do. He is going to describe the cross. And remember that Ethiopian eunuch in the desert? He's going to open up Isaiah 53 and he can't understand it. However, when you understand Jesus and you stick Jesus in the lock of this, you realize 750 years. That is a long time, by the way. In vivid, exquisite detail, God is going to reveal how he is going to come and deliver his people. So I'm going to go through this, uh, and I'm going to go through it in bullet points so you see it differently than you might just normally see Scripture, okay? Doing that on purpose. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is Isaiah 53. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. means external beauty. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's amazing. This is 750 years before and it's speaking very specifically, almost like we are looking upon the cross in fact, if you get Isaiah 52, it is going to talk about this one being marred beyond recognition, that he isn't even recognized as human. It's right before this starts. And then you're going to say, we're looking at this suffering man. Who is this? You almost feel like the Ethiopian eunuch going, who is this man? And we think, well, he must be a criminal. Look, it, he was beaten and bruised and uh, it must be terrible. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, for our peace was upon him. You know that everything that I've been teaching you this week about the gospel is found right there. He took the place that you deserved. He stood in the gap. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. 
and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He didn't die alone. One, two, three. He was with the criminals and numbered amongst them. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay, but I don't want to give any more away. Is okay, now that, 750 years before, is in perfect harmony. I tell you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you would believe that I am, says Jesus. So when you see that, do you believe that he is? In other words, this is the evidence that God has given us. He has given us actual basis for our faith. Look, I said that to you 750 years before. Do you believe? Now we're going to go back even further. Now what's amazing about this, a thousand years before the cross, Jesus on the cross is going to declare something right before he dies. So I'll read that. This is a thousand years before. Uh, now, not this. This is actually when he's dying. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Jews that are standing around, what do they think? Psalm 22. <laughs> That's the first line of Psalm 22. Psalm 22. You start thinking of Psalm 22 while you're staring at the cross? And what you have is an almond branch bearing almonds before your very eyes. Jesus is basically saying with that statement, I am he. I mean, this is quite the moment, guys. If you were to just imagine that you are a Jew, mocking, ridiculing, railing, but you know the scriptures, and he declares the first line of Psalm 22. Boom, you start referring to Psalm 22 in your mind, and you stand back in awe. Whoa. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 is what he yells. And everyone is silenced before the realities of who this one hanging on that cross is. This was spoken of a thousand years before in vivid detail. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. Quote, unquote, from the enemies of Christ surrounding the cross. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. 
They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. You do a physician's take on the crucifixion, and what you will say is in this position, your bones are out of joint. It's extreme pain. And one of the statements that a physician would make, because when the spear is going to go into the side of Jesus, that out of his side is going to flow blood and water, is that his heart imploded. And very likely, the cause of death wasn't just merely crucifixion. It was an imploded heart, a broken heart. And so as a result, these words are so profound. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. A thousand years before this, crucifixion didn't even exist. Roman crucifixion did not exist. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. It's okay to have awe descend upon you. That is just, it's just extraordinary. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Psalm 22! Whoa. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear. This is quite the unique situation. Jesus is transfigured and a voice booms from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. How are we to appropriate the word of God? The word of God in text, the word of God in person, the word of God in action. We bend our knee and we say he is divine. This is God. This is God's word. This is God's man. This is God's work. And we believe. The proper response to the realities of the word of God, that God has condescended and humbled himself to reveal himself to us, should cause awe, wonder, to shudder through our being. He didn't have to reveal himself to us, but he revealed himself to us because of his love for us. And he said what would happen before it happened so that when it did happen, exactly as he said it would happen, we would believe that he is. So, what would be the proper response of our soul? To believe. There's no reason to delay. To believe. And if you believe, to ratify your faith and say, Lord, all the more. I am yours, and to worship him as he deserves. Father, we stand in awe of who you are. Lord, there's so much about you that we have allowed to be diminished in the world in which we live, and we have not stood guard and drawn our sword and defended your honor and defended your name. For you are God Almighty. And there is only one means of salvation, and you have supplied it in and through your Son. 
And Lord Jesus, we have taken this too lightly. We have been passive in a generation where we must learn to be aggressive with the truth for people are dying every day. An estimated 150,000 people a day die and are eternally separated from you. And Lord Jesus, we have been entrusted with something. We have seen it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would enliven us today, that you would quicken our souls, that you would embolden us to action. The first great action is to believe and to trust you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, to cling to you as Jacob clung to you in the dark night, to not relent and to not let go no matter what. Lord Jesus, this is for you, for your honor, glory, and praise. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.